Chelsea Fairless. And welcome back to another episode of Every Outfit. This time, not pre-recorded. Yeah, it feels like it's been an eternity since we've actually sat down together and done this. Like, I low-key have social anxiety about having to podcast right now. It's only been two weeks, although it's been a very long two weeks. It's been a real mixed bag for me. Like, I feel like I've lived a whole ass life. Like, on the plus side, some of my best friends from New York came and visited me. I saw Lady Gaga. Tad and I celebrated our birthday. But on the other hand, I got laryngitis, lost my voice, and then my entire body was ravaged by a mysterious rash. Yeah, it felt like you were living your own personal Oregon Trail game. (laughs) So Oregon Trail. And I had decided to make you leave in November just to see what would happen. <sighs> Good thing we took last week off because you didn't have a voice. It was it was quite unfair. Yeah, it was rude. It was also very <laughs> difficult to talk about all the celebs we were seeing at your birthday dinner when you didn't have a voice. It's very hard for you to whisper like, hey, hey, hey. That's Cindy Crawford. Yeah, the celebs really came out for me and Tad's birthday. I don't know what happened. (laughs) It was an A-list affair. I know. I feel like there's always pressure. No matter who you are, if you live in Los Angeles and you have people visiting you, that's basically what they want to see. They want to see celebrities. I guess our recommendation for that would be go to the Sunset Tower for dinner on a regular, regular night like a Tuesday. Yeah, but I feel like we've done that several times before and you'll see like an odd celeb, but this was like celebs hanging from the rafters. I mean, I think our biggest sighting was probably... Adrian Brody and Georgina Chapman. Oh my God. Who the fuck knew they were dating? I mean, I did, but only I would know such things. Imagine going from Harvey Weinstein to Adrian Brody. Like, that's such a glow up. I mean, there's only up, I think, from there. But we were blessed in the sense that the blonde premiere was happening in Hollywood. And so Adrian Brody, who plays Arthur Miller, And Ana de Armas, as we learned as she was leaving, they all decided to have dinner at the Sunset Tower after the premiere. The bar side was closed because the Handmaid's Tale party was happening. Yeah, so we saw Elizabeth Moss, my fave. But also, why was Seth Green there? Seth Green was at a party, I believe, for the comedian Jeff Ross, who shares your birthday, Chell. But actually, who is that? Uh, He is a comedian. He's known uh, as a roast comic. So he's on those like Comedy Central roasts all the time? Yes, he is the uh, MC of those things. Oh, okay. And also afflicted with alopecia. (laughs) Just like your Pomeranian. I know. (laughs) That's been Lauren's struggle. I've had the the laryngitis and the rash. Lauren has been coping with uh, the fact that her dog has hair loss. Which is evidently a thing with Pomeranians. They're afflicted with something called alopecia X. I waited two months for a doggy dermatologist only for him to be like, it's just cosmetic, whatever. He's just going to keep losing his hair. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's like Just what? buy him a little sweater and call it a day. Which is what I've been doing, but mostly because I have been on, of course, Pomeranian boards that are like, use this Derm Magic Lotion. It brought my dog's hair back, which I don't know if it's true, but I'm like desperate enough at this point to be like, okay. If anyone has any tips, call into the hotline and... Uh... <laughs> 
tell Lauren about it. I mean, as we were discussing before the podcast, you know firsthand that like dermatologists are bullshit. Oh yeah, they're full on con artists. <laughs> they just prescribe you creams and tell you to come back in a week and you're like, that cream didn't work. And they're like, here's another cream. And that cycle just keeps happening until the skin whatever resolves and you don't know what fixed it. Probably nothing. Basically, you go into a dermatologist and they're like, hmm, we don't know if you have poison oak or full-blown AIDS. So we're just going to have to keep an eye on it. Here's some cream. We'll see what happens. Maybe a course of steroids. Like, actually, yeah, I'm still on steroids. Anyway, and just like that is back. Oh, my God. I really, when I saw those first photos from Sada Ramirez and Sarah Jessica Parker of the table read, I felt like Nev Campbell in Scream 2 when she's talking to Randy and she's like, it's happening again. And he's like, it's not happening again. Don't worry about it. Like, I don't know why I feel this way, but I'm like, in a way, I'm excited, of course, but like, I'm kind of filled with dread. Yeah, it's a it's complicated feelings because also once the end, just like that train leaves the station, we're on board, you know? Right, which means we have to start covering all of the street photography. Ugh, I'm going to have to get on the phone with Getty Images again. It's... Yeah. Poor Molly and Danny. They put so much work into the costumes and then they're going to be paparazzied. And given our quote unquote career, we have to immediately publish those photos. Yeah. But yeah, in addition to the photos from the table read, we did see one photo of Evan Handler in some sort of wardrobe fitting. For a suit. Can you imagine a more boring fitting? Should I wear the navy one or the black one? You know what? I have a crazy idea. What about an olive? Whatever one works best with my giant dick. (laughs) I enjoyed also what was shown in Sada Ramirez's photo was the social media guidelines, which is just funny to think about a show where the cast is primarily 50-year-olds, or it's like, (laughs) this is what you don't post. I just like to think it's like gigantic images. You know when people have like gigantic text font? Yeah. It's like that, and it's like a giant X, like pages of the dialogue, don't post that. Cover page, check mark, you can post that. One thing I really love is how little Sarah Jessica Parker and Sada Ramirez give a fuck about the way these photos looked. (laughs) Like Sarah Jessica Parker's is like dark. There's literally like a hair or like a pencil mark or something on the title page of and just like that. And then she scribbled over the episode title with like, I think that like digital crayon that you can like use when you like edit a photo like in your iPhone. Yeah, in a in a Joker color purple. <laughs> it's Hocus Pocus purple. Just this much for now. X, SJ. What they're crossing out is the title of the episode. Is that that much of a spoiler? And just like that, Aiden returns? Like, what could the title be? Yeah, true. We have lots of and just like that news, actually. Oh my god, they were burning up fashion week. Yeah, Sarah Jessica Parker made an appearance at the Fendi show, which was truly shocking because in all the years that we've had every outfit on Sex in the City, has she ever gone to a fashion show that you can recall? Because I can't. She has to have. What, though? Here's what I don't quite understand, and I know we're going to get into the 
the Kim Jones X Mark Jacobs Fendi show. But in one of the articles I read, it said that she partially designed some of the baguettes that were featured in the show. Did you read that? Yeah, she designed the one that she carried to the show, which is apparently available in three other colorways that will be launching for the holiday season. So I looked at the runway picks trying to find the other colorways of that bag, and I couldn't. So I'm confused, but we'll just have to... Wait and see. Yeah. They were like, look, we're going to make the one that you can wear to the show. And like, we promise you, it'll be in three other colorways in a couple of months. Yeah. It was kind of like, for those of you who didn't see it, it was like a shiny ombre purple situation with some sort of green closure. Uh, Which was her addition to that. It's sort of a ombre version of the classic Carrie Baguette purple baguette when she gets it stolen at the end of season three that was like a major like paillette or something like that was like had more texture to it this feels a little slicker yeah it also i don't know there's something to be desired by that like green decal that's on the front of the bag well i think it's more like it would be hard to carry that bag like what would you wear with that bag you know that's why i want to see the other colorways Anyway, I I think the big moment that people saw was that when the show ended, Anna Wintour, Sarah Jessica Parker was seated next to Kim Kardashian. And when the show ended, Anna Wintour went over to Sarah Jessica Parker first and all but ignored Kim Kardashian. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't see that. Again, the video ends, so you I'm sure Anna Wintour did not ice out Kim Kardashian. Yeah, just, that's probably just fake news. I'm just saying she's put her on the cover of Vogue like three times now. I know, but people were reading into the fact that she went to Sarah Jessica Parker first instead of Kim Kardashian. It's like Anna Wintour and Sarah Jessica Parker are buddies, one, and two, they're neighbors. Are they? They both live in the West Village, right? I have no idea where Anna Wintour lives. Anyway, in other news, Kyle MacLachlan made an appearance in the new Marc Jacobs Heaven campaign. What did you think of his makeover? (laughs) He truly exists in so many multitudes. This is maybe my favorite Kyle MacLachlan, which is probably just him, which is like eccentric Kyle MacLachlan, like the Kyle MacLachlan that appears in episodes of Portlandia. Yeah, there's two photos of him. One, he's wearing an online ceramics heaven collab sweater. And he looks like he looks like himself, but he's also like been impaled by a sword. Yeah, I couldn't tell if the sword was like behind him. And it's an optical illusion that it looks like it's going through him. I think it's supposed to be through him. And then the other photo, he's wearing like eyeliner and black angel wings and he looks like an amalgamation of every member of the smashing pumpkins like in a (laughs) single man i was trying to think of what it reminded me of but you are exactly right (laughs) oh my god i fuck with it obviously you know what we need kyle mclaughlin in a gregoraki project 1000 i'm sure they'd both live for it also this was maybe the most shocking but mikhail barishnikov at vogue world Okay, what was Vogue World? That already sounds like a cut article. (laughs) Vogue World was a fashion show celebrating 130 years of Vogue magazine held on the streets of New York featuring a mix of models, actors, personalities wearing a wide range of brands. 
you know, it was a pretty cool idea. I think the thing that maybe didn't land about Vogue World was the fact that almost all the clothes were from previous seasons. Right. So you'd be like, oh, like that's the Balenciaga dress from that collection they did like four collections ago. Which kind of makes sense. It couldn't be as Fashion Week was still happening. But like, why couldn't they have just asked every designer to make one outfit? Like that doesn't seem crazy, especially after the Sonia Raikil tribute show that they did right before she retired and the Albert Elbaz fashion show that we talked about earlier this year after he died, where they had like every designer design something in his style, like as a tribute. Why couldn't you just do that for Vogue? I don't know. They didn't make the ask. Like imagine if someone came down the runway in that like LaCroix sweater from the 1988 yeah Anna from first Anna's cover. first issue or a tribute to that or something or what if they let like young cool designers use images from the magazine to make like prints or something like it was only the 130th year okay <laughs> for the 150th anniversary they'll try that 130 is kind of an awkward anniversary like did they do anything for the 125th because I feel like that's the year yeah yeah anyway Mikhail Baryshnikov modeled I love that when I went to go look this up, there was a New York Post article that was mostly using comments left on our post as the copy for their story. That's cute. I was like, I wonder if I could get more information about why Baryshnikov was there. Well, he seems like someone that Anna Wintour would really fuck with. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's like Enid's a Vogue girl. She loved him. Like it's all, it all makes sense. But yes, we posted him because he did a dance of sorts. A... I don't know enough about modern dance to have the vocabulary to describe the way his body was moving, but it was sensational. It felt like a performative catwalk walk dance that you would see an angry male model do on the like Margiela runway or something. But it also felt like an old, old fashion show where the models would come out with like so much personality and like everyone would be smiling and like <laughs> Pat Cleveland is like entertaining the crowd. It was kind of giving that. Maybe that's the last fashion show he's been to. <laughs> and then lastly, Jason Lewis, Smith Jared, uh, appeared on Dancing with the Stars for a one and done appearance, <laughs> which honestly, as people that would have had to watch every single week, I do appreciate. Yeah, same. These kind of competition shows give me so much anxiety for the people performing in them. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And with Dancing with the Stars, it's super embarrassing to be kicked off first because there are so many contestants. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is it more embarrassing to be eliminated the first week or remain and then have to keep coming back every week? I think it's worse to get kicked off the first week because you just had to do all the press, like tease all the shit on your social media channels. Like it's embarrassing to be kicked off first, especially when other people were also like terrible. Like I'm not saying that like him being kicked off first is like a huge injustice, but there were plenty of people that were just as bad as him. Like no one was actually good. The only people that were good were Charlie D'Amelio because she could actually dance. Right, which those people 
always have an unfair advantage. I don't care what anyone says. Yeah. And Sam Champion, because he got to dance to the Elton John, Britney Spears song. I mean, I felt like the writing was on the wall for Jason Lewis when during the intro, when they all have to do like a mini dance bit as they're being introduced, he was quite stiff, which I related to because that would be me if I were on one of these shows. But I guess not all models are like Shalom Harlow or something. Because I think of models as having an inherent sense of rhythm, I guess, because they have to like walk on the runway and like, I don't know, dance around to music like during their shoots. But I guess he just kind of like awkwardly shuffles. But anyway, thank you. So we don't have to watch Dancing with the Stars ever again. So that concludes our Sex in the City news. But we have much Fashion Week stuff to talk about. Indeed. This was a very uh, stunty New York Fashion Week. Yeah, I think the coolest thing about New York Fashion Week is stunt casting. And I feel like a lot of people are very like judgy about that and cynical about it because it's like you're compensating for the fact that you made a boring collection by like hiring a random celebrity. But like it always makes the show more interesting, right? And a lot of shows need that. There were also a lot of random shows, even for shows that usually show. And then you had shows that don't show at New York, like the Marc Jacobs X-Fendi collab. I don't think we're calling it necessarily that. It was a Fendi show, but the last 10 looks were a collaboration with Marc Jacobs. So it was a Fendi show to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Baguette, because Fendi just had their own show a few days ago. But this was a special show in New York because they felt, because of Sarah Jessica Parker and the popularity of the Baguette on Sex and the City, that that bag is synonymous with New York. Right. But I don't think anyone needs this much Fendi. I've ingested too much Fendi. I think the Marc Jacobs stuff was definitely the coolest. Like I fucked with the big furry hats and the little corset tops and stuff. But like, I don't know. I just, I think I just don't care about Kim Jones as a women's wear designer. I would say Kim Jones styling, and we've spoken about this in previous Fendi collections, definitely leaves something to be desired. Yeah. And we're not against maximalism, but there's something... It's not even maximalism. It's like, it's not maximalism. I think if anything, the problem is it's aried on the side of the banal, which I understand there's like a lot of Italian luxury brands that are like like that because people buy that shit. But also I just... For me, it's just like not that exciting. Although the stunt casting in Fendi was exciting. Linda really had a moment. Miss Linda Evangelista closed the show? She didn't actually walk. That was the weirdest part. It's like she didn't walk the runway. She just kind of like came out of the wings at the end. Which would make you think she was the guest designer because she sort of walked out the way that Marc Jacobs used to. Totally. With Linda, this time we got to see her hair and her neck. (laughs) Which were absent from the weird-ass British Vogue editorial that we talked about recently. And she wore, like, a really giant opera cape that was, like, very glamorous with, like, a little, like, silver Fendi baguette. It was, like, a very cute look. This maybe is Patreon talk, but, like, we're becoming Linda Evangelista (laughs) truthers. (laughs) Oh, for sure. The more I reflect upon this, the more I think that she is severely dysmorphic and not severely deformed. I'm not saying that she's lying about the cool sculpting thing. I think she did have some cool sculpting accident, but I don't think the damage was that severe. And I think she just 
probably gained 30 pounds and now thinks that like an opera cape is the only thing you can wear. <laughs> she feels like she's Andre Leon Talley or something. Yeah. She's living inside of a Stephen King novel. And you know what? Look, it, maybe this is fucked up to say, but she's someone that always struck me as the kind of person who couldn't function in the world if she wasn't beautiful. And I think when she looks in the mirror, I think she actually sees her body like she's wearing one of those Comme de Garçon dresses from the Lumps and Bumps collection. Actually, maybe she should rock. But I feel like her perception of herself is very fucked up, uh, is, is more fucked up than whatever's happened to her body through cool sculpting. I think I made this point before when those People magazine photos came out, but it's like, she just looks like a normal person now and she can't handle it. She's still the most beautiful woman with amazing bone structure, but... Well, yeah, imagine if she wasn't so beautiful, she would be completely insufferable. Like, like I don't want to get out of bed for less than $10,000 a day. Like, if you're an average-looking person, that's like you're like fucking Chantal from Search Party or something. Oh, yeah, no, then you have to be Courtney Love or, like, Kat Marnell or something. You Only people who are incredibly beautiful or have an X factor can say that. Yeah. All right, moving on. Little Nas X. Surprise. <laughs> you have to say Lil. You can't say Little Nas X. Like I, Little Bo Peep. I mean, I'm very white. Can I get away with saying Lil Nas X? Little Nas X was as. I feel like Chris <laughs> Jenner. Jesus Christ. You say it then. Lil Nas X. <laughs> Close the uh, Coach show. I feel like Coach is a great example that no brand is beyond saving. Like this season, I looked at the collection. I was like, I may actually buy a dress. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because my thought was like, however much they paid him wasn't enough. Interesting. I don't know. I just think that like, I get what you're saying. Like, there are some cool leather jackets in this show. But like, I don't know if anyone wants that from Coach. Not every brand has to be a quote unquote, like cool brand. But I think we are getting to an age where stuff is not for us anymore. And I think the reinvention of Coach, which speaks to Gen Z, is not for us. But is it for Gen Z? Because I feel like it is more for us because to me, the aesthetic of Coach today is like Mark by Mark Jacobs from the past. Right. And only we care about that. Like Gen Z definitely doesn't care about that shit. Gen Z TikTokers love that bubble coach bag, so. Yeah, I just, like, wish coach would, like, look in the mirror and, like, be the bitch they were born to be. You know what I mean? They're, like, we're for women who grew out of Banana Republic. We're for, like, you know, when you live in New Jersey and you go to the <laughs> mall and you get a bag for your eighth grade graduation. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, yeah, we'll get into that when we talk about Gap in a little bit. We had some very fascinating stunt casting at Tommy Now, Tommy World. It's called Tommy Now, which is the name of Tommy Hilfiger's See Now, Buy Now collection that they keep doing. Does anyone actually buy it, though? The Richard Quinn stuff, yes, which we'll get into in a second. But I'm fascinated that the show that he did... The Tommy Factory was this show, which is called a 
FiDigital, which would, I guess, be the mixture of physical and digital, world inspired by <laughs> Andy Warhol's factory, complete with tinfoil-covered catwalk and mylar balloons, both IRL and AR, which means augmented reality, which is like, does that mean the people that are watching it online just have additional augmented reality balloons? I don't understand any of it. I don't understand that. I don't understand how Andy Warhol's factory <laughs> enters into this equation. Like, imagine dressing like that and, like, trying to go to the factory. Like, they call <laughs> security. They throw you out on the street. Um, the show happened in Brooklyn, and but then was live-streamed on Roblox. Roblox, my only understanding of this is that that's how Kim Kardashian learned that her sex tape was out there again. <laughs> Although I still don't believe that for one second. Absolutely not. Yeah, it was weird because there's this Warhol spin, right, in the marketing and in the casting. They cast uh, Donna Jordan, who is a Warhol muse, Bob Colicello, who was on the ground floor at Interview Magazine. So there's these kind of like heritage Warholian icons Yet everyone dressed like it was like a new season of The Politician or something. <laughs> Which, oddly enough, Warhol would like this, his name being used in this way. I don't know. It was just a weird vibe. And especially, like, to dress Bob Colicello, like, to dress a 70-something-year-old <laughs> man like that, it's like... He looks like a detective that is like going undercover at like an elite boarding school or something. Like it is not right. I mean, I've never understood even when I was a kid who Tommy Hilfiger is for. I get who it's for. It's for like the eighth grade classmates. Like you go and get like a Tommy like hoodie or something. Again, it's not 2002 anymore. It's 2022. But yet this man persists and somehow had a collaboration with Richard Quinn, which was like, what the fuck? Why? Yeah, why are we adding this British element into the mix? This is what the copy was on the website. Tommy X Richard Quinn is a limited edition collection that merges Tommy's signature new prep aesthetics with Quinn's paradoxical anarchy. Okay, weird. <laughs> also, I found it strange that he was obviously brought on to design textiles because like that's his thing and that's something that Tommy Hilfiger just like does not do but I did find it weird that Richard Quinn chose not to incorporate the logo in any of this I mean he did there's a denim cat suit oh the one that Kourtney Kardashian wore <laughs> I mean he that was another element Travis <laughs> was there Travis Barker started playing. I don't understand where that factors in. Richard Quinn did it in a very clever way where he hid most of the like TH logo within the designs he did almost as if it was like, fine, I don't really want to include this. But I find the most interesting- Well, obviously he doesn't. He's getting paid and good for him. Piece that I found the most interesting isn't included, which is in the imagery for that denim cat suit is like a cool- denim cat mask but it's not for sale anywhere again i don't know where i would wear it but i like the idea that it's offered for sale sorry i'm just like imagining you going to whole foods in some random denim richard quinn x tommy now cat hat cat hat cat, cat mask cat mask i mean it's los angeles there are definitely people who've showed up in in worse yeah. And it's quite fitting because when I do carry my dog, because my dog does not move, people often ask me if I'm carrying a stuffed animal, which really tells you all you need to know about Los Angeles, that people genuinely think I might be an adult woman carrying a stuffed animal around. 
What else do we have? Jemima Kirk modeled at Batsheva and Kalina Strada. That felt like a North Star of Fashion Week. <laughs> like, oh, right. Like some downtown New York girls in cool girl fashion shows. You almost forget that that, that is also a mainstay of New York Fashion Week. Yeah, she looked really good at Batsheva, but I don't know, the Kalina Strada, that was like, that was rough. That was very like Bushwick Burning Man vibes. <laughs> To each their own, but not my cup of tea necessarily. And also, our girl Hari Neff was everywhere, which was great. She always makes Fashion Week more interesting. And I will say the same about Ella Emhoff, the, what, stepdaughter? Kamala Harris's stepdaughter. Yes. Who walked in a lot of different shows, but I thought it was really fun that she had one tit out at Probable Groong. Which was not purposeful. It was the way the top was, and when she walked, one titty popped out. Really? It's supposed to be a top, but it's basically a piece of like neon green chiffon. It looks like a like an ungaro or like a blue marine vibe from like the early two thousands or yeah. something. Like it looks like the kind of top that like Carmen Cass would have worn in like some editorial or something. Ooh, Carmen Cass, lovely pull. I do think that her casting in that show is really funny and kind of speaks to the Eck House Lottification of fashion <laughs> shows in New York. Brands like Echo's Lotta, Vicara started casting quote unquote real people in their shows because like that's what their customer looks like. Like right. Ella Emhoff is like the Eck House Lotta consumer. But then that just kind of became trendy and bigger brands took notice. So now these people are cast in these random shows, modeling shit that they would never wear. And there's someone like, you know, at Tommy Hilfiger or Probble with like stick and poke tattoos. Like, it's just like a weird vibe. Look, they're getting that dollar. And by dollar, I literally mean a dollar because that is what models are paid on the runway. Um, I feel like you can't stiff Ella Emhoff. If there's one nice thing about being a Nepo baby, I do feel... Like, she's paid on time more than most models, right? You don't want the vice president coming down on you. Suddenly you're getting audited. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of into it. Is there anything else you enjoyed about New York Fashion Week? Yeah, for sure. Like, it's been a minute, so I feel like the things that I actually remember are the things that I actually care about. But I will say, I think that Katie Holmes looked weirdly incredible at Michael Kors, which is a sentence that I never thought would come out of my mouth ever. Yeah, that look really opened up the parallel reality that she could have had if she had not signed her life away to Scientology. Yeah, it was truly a serve that came out of absolutely nowhere that no one asked for. But she showed up wearing this black Aliyah-esque column gown that had like an attached hood and she just looked incredible i can't stop thinking about it this was her at the michael Kors show yeah i hope that it's the beginning of a makeover because if she keeps moving in this direction she could be like the new mary kate and ashley or something that is true although something it feels like if she gets too much on the radar like tom cruise is gonna come and zap her or something yeah it feels purposeful of how much she's been under the radar the last decade Totally. Also, I don't know if you actually looked at the Michael Kors show, but like it's never a question of like whether or not he's going to go Halston because he always will. But it's like uh, it's like what on the scale of like zero to Halston is going to be. And this was like a 10 on the scale. He did go full Halston, but like when Halston was on the love boat. 
and and did a fashion show in that episode. Look, I don't fault him for it. Like Halston isn't around to design this shit anymore. You know, in addition to the Halston stuff, there was a lot of stuff that felt very like Rudy Gernreich vibes. And that's the kind of fashion, specifically the kind of American fashion that he's interested in, preoccupied with. And I agree. Like, I think that's the best shit also. Yeah, if you want like a cashmere tank that starts at your areolas paired with like gray slouchy wide leg pants, Michael Kors is your man. Yeah, like there's actually a lot of overlap between this collection and recent Bottega Vedetta collections just because it is the same source material. He is who he is. He's built the most successful American brand. Yes. Against all odds. I mean, and he's also the owner of Versace. (laughs) He owns Versace. I will never get over that. I'll never get over it. That was crazy. In other news, Berrigan debuted a slogan tee that (laughs) was my favorite slogan tee of all of Fashion Week, which was a play on the famous J'adore Dior tee, except it said, J'adore your whole. The show was giving derelict. (laughs) It was very derelict. I also like the... The shirt that said meth in the style of like a Mets baseball jersey. Yeah, it was very clearly inspired by, I don't know how else to say it, white trash people that are addicted to meth. Like that's just, <laughs> there's no, there's no delicate way of saying that. And I can't, I can't wait to see it on Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> yeah, we need the canceled twice slogan tease. Oh, I hope, I hope they are sending that to Adam Levine right now. <laughs> Another highlight for me was Willie Chavarria's show, which was really major. And also his Carrie Bradshaw moment. I mean, this was an incredible collection. We do have a soft spot because our friend Jess works very closely with the brand. But I also always love a show that takes place in a church. Oh, of course you do. (laughs) That's just your recovering Catholic shit. I know. But I thought this season, his tailoring was very romantic. Well, it was very tailored, for one thing, because this is one of those brands that I always associate with oversized clothing. But there was like really, really beautiful tailored jackets and also giant carry rosettes. I'm really hoping, Molly, Danny, I know you don't listen to this podcast, but... Could you imagine if Carrie started dating like a super high fashion guy and he showed up on a date with a giant rosette? Yeah, it's just those pieces were so beautiful. Those were the finale looks. And I hope that a good celebrity wears one of them. I don't know who. I I feel like no one would look more major than the models in the show did. Just don't give it to Harry Styles. That's all I care about. Do not give Harry Styles those taffeta pants with the giant rosette and the like ball gown-esque train. I can't stand for that. You know, we talk negatively about a lot of designer bloodos, but actually this is where it does work out well for us because Harry Styles will never be let out of his Gucci bloodos, so we're safe. It's more who, what celebrity that is regularly on the red carpet takes fashion risks, and I feel like someone like Daniel Kaluuya does and would look amazing in these looks. I think Timotei could rock this, but I don't think that's maybe like the image they want for the brand necessarily. <laughs> A tiny <laughs> white boy? Yeah, I don't think they love that. I don't think so. But yeah, I, I love this show. I think it's nice to see someone do something cool in New York. And also to see someone have a show that is like a very 
even mix of shit that people actually could wear would want to wear like functional shit and the sort of like fantastical clothes that people come to fashion shows to see. I just hope that New York doesn't lose him to Paris Fashion Week, which seems inevitable. I could also see him at London Fashion Week too. No, that's a downgrade. Sorry, <laughs> London. I'm sorry. Not that New York Fashion Week is great. Like every fashion week has its pros and cons, but I feel like you either go to New York or Paris. That's true. And, you know, with everything that's going on with the Queen and then now we have Charles's coronation, you might have your show canceled because it suddenly becomes a national holiday. Okay, we can't talk about the Queen again. Oh, that's right. (laughs) We got too much flack last time. Okay, well, one thing, I misread the room. (laughs) I didn't realize that British people still really care about the Queen. It depends on the age demographic. I don't think it does, though. Even like J.W. Anderson, like the last look of his show was like a tribute to the Queen. I was like, you really? Because I kind of thought it was like your relationship with Catholicism in the sense you're like, okay, I was born into it. I don't really subscribe to it, but I do enjoy the kitschy elements of it. And I like the rosary aesthetic and whatnot. Right. I wouldn't push the podcast a week if the Pope died. Right. But people really stan the queen i also am really surprised like the amount of people i've heard refer to her as a public servant i'm like a servant like have you seen this bitch's jewelry collection i'm sorry she's not a bitch she's i meant that in like a positive well affirming sense well we had both sides of it because one person was like how dare you like essentially fuck the queen and fuck the monarchy that person was just working through some stuff. And then... On well, the- that person was like, you didn't really address, like, her problematic colonial nature. And it's like, yeah, we did it because she just died, and that seems like that would be rude. And then on the other side of that, <laughs> we got a one-star review from the UK that was just like, this is the most disrespectful podcast ever, which, I'm sorry, the past year and a half had not clued you in. Look, to our British listeners that may or may not be mourning, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I actually didn't know. I actually don't want to start shit. Okay, don't. Please stop leaving us one-star reviews. You know what? This is why we talk about fashion and movies and not politics or the monarchy or really religion. So let's get into movies. So you forced me to watch Do Revenge. I didn't force you to watch it. I just was like, this is coming out. This seems like something we should talk about. And then over the weekend, I received a text message that just said, this is the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. Well, yeah, you're the do revenge apologist. What about this film spoke to you? I'm not the do revenge apologist. This, I did not enjoy this movie. I don't believe this movie is for us. We are in the minority, but I also understand how this movie got made. What, by the bot? The bot that not only wrote the film, but costumed and soundtracked it as well. There is an actual human being behind it, Jennifer Caton Robinson, that had a short-lived show on MTV called uh, Sweet Vicious, which was a rape-revenge show. She then made... But like a woke one? I mean... Yeah. Anyway, it it lasted a season, but she wrote a rom-com for Netflix that did very well. And in our like IP broken mind, because this is not actually based on strangers on a train, it's just sort of inspired. So clearly she went into Netflix and was like, hey, I love 90s teen comedies, but of course everything kind of needs to be based on IP. So like, what if I did a Hitchcockian version of that? And they were like, here's a bunch of money. And then they made this movie. Yeah, but... I don't know. To me, 
I think it was really hindered by the fact that when you watch it, it really does feel like a shallow and ultimately hollow amalgamation of all of the films that it's referencing. And you can't help but watch it because there's so many callbacks to Heathers and Mean Girls and 10 Things I Hate About You, all of those movies. It's like you're constantly reminded of like actual good movies. So you're like, why am I watching this movie? There's a few central problems. The director who also co-wrote the script, who is our age, she referenced all the films we love, right? She, so she cited Cruel Intentions, Clueless, Jawbreaker, and Heathers as references. But I agree with you. All of those people who made those films, you know, Cruel Intentions is obviously based on uh, Dangerously Amazons, Clueless with Emma, but they're not... Re it's not like uh, those 90s films were then taking direct scenes from John Hughes' films and recreating them. Like, no. that's the part I, I agree with you, I don't understand, which is why aren't you just doing an homage to that, but with completely new references? Because what scares me about what is going on right now is... 20 years from now, are people just going to be referencing a film that was referencing a film from 20 years ago? Or are we just going to be referencing references of a reference? Yeah, well, you can reference and also be of the moment. Like a film like Scream did that quite well in that it was sort of like self-aware nod to the genre, but also a film that felt timely, a film that felt like the teenagers were the teenagers of today. And also you have to take into consideration the fact that Heather's was a very fucking edgy movie. Yes. And so was Jawbreaker. And this film has no edge to it at all. But I don't. one thing I got to thinking about, we're using the term 90s teen movies to describe a genre that has no name and has two distinctive parts. Like, because on one hand, there's the Heathers to Jawbreaker to Mean Girls pipeline, which is films about social hierarchy in high school and mean girl clicks and stuff like that. And then on the other hand, it's Clueless, it's 10 Things I Hate About You, it's Cruel Intentions, which were all adaptations where it's like they're centered around some sort of bet that like the people take weirdly seriously. Right, and, <laughs> and classic literature that is in the public domain. Yeah, so if anyone has an idea for a name for this genre, I think it needs one. Yeah. I would say another core issue and especially if you're referencing or inspired by Strangers on a Train, Jawbreaker, and Heathers, is someone needs to die. Yes, absolutely. No one dies in this film, and it really is a problem. Because the joy of Strangers on a Train, which is a Patricia Highsmith novel, is it's about two strangers who meet on a train who are bitching about their lives. One is a psychopath, the other isn't. <laughs> And the psychopath is like, oh, you know what? We don't know each other. If we just like murdered the person who's bothering each other in our lives, like no one would be able to connect it back. And the guy's like, oh, isn't that a novel idea? Doesn't do it. The other guy actually does and comes to collect on the other end of the bed. Look, if you're going to watch a Patricia Highsmith adaptation, let it be Carol. That's all I have to say. But yeah, to your point about copying, it's like, do you remember photocopiers? Of course. You remember how when you photograph something repeatedly, the quality degrades? Yeah. So Do Revenge is like the degraded version of the sort of like cruel intentions to gossip girl, to right. the politician, to now Do Revenge. Yeah. My other issue with the film is that it's satirizing woke culture while also being woke in all the performative ways that media is required to be. Right. 
However, I will say two highlights that I did find quite funny was Sophie Turner screaming, I don't do coke, as well as the invention of the cis-hetero men championing female identifying students league. See, I felt like that was just too on the nose. Another Again, they're trying to bring it into the present day by having this plot line, but it ultimately didn't feel modern at all. I hate how everything has to have a message. I really do. I just like a show like Euphoria when people just like teenagers just like are skanks and do drugs you want the i guess another another variant of the 90s teen film would be the larry clark uh, kids yeah. gummo yeah that's its own coming of age Dirt, subgenre dirtbag uh, teen film yeah i also before we get on to a genuinely good film that we loved one of the most inappropriate usages of flagpole sitta yeah. There's one needle drop for that song, and it is the second half of the Disturbing Behavior trailer. <laughs> I completely forgot about S- that. Starring? Our girl Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes. Not to be confused with the other teen film, Teaching Mrs. Tingle, where they do kill a teacher, right? Yeah, we need more death. Speaking of death and revenge, we saw Pearl. the My favorite movie, Pearl. The prequel sequel to Ty West X, which came out earlier this year. And Pearl is proof that you can reference other movies and still make a good movie that feels of its time. Even though the time is 1918. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. My biggest takeaway is that Mia Goth is an incredible actress. I actually had no idea. But I'm just floored by her performance in this film. I also just like this idea that they were making the film X. Mia Goth is credited as a co-writer of the script of Pearl. And they had the set to the... I guess just explain like X to Pearl. The X to Pearl to Maxine Pipeline? Yes. (laughs) So X is a film set in 1978, 1979 about a crew that is going to make a porn film on an old farm and there's an elderly couple who basically have been hoodwinked that they're just a group of travelers that are staying in their extra barn but really they're shooting a pornography film and one by one they all start dying right now we just recently watched x i missed it in the theaters and we loved it but i like pearl even more yeah i don't know how i mean this isn't exactly a spoiler because i knew that mia goth was in the old woman makeup for X? Yeah, she played two roles in X, a porn star and this like old creepy woman. So I had assumed there was some supernatural explanation, but there isn't. She just plays two unconnected characters, which is incredible. So therefore, she can play the young Pearl in this prequel sequel that they started shooting literally the weekend after they wrapped X. They had the whole crew. I just watched an interview with Ty West, Pearl's mother was the intimacy coordinator on X, and he asked her to audition. She did not speak German. Wow. She phonetically learned German. That's insane. She was great. Anyway, go see Pearl. Like, what Joker is to, like, incel boys, Pearl is to mentally ill women like ourselves. (laughs) Yeah, Pearl is, like, very, like... Wizard of Oz if Dorothy was a burgeoning serial killer at the beginning of the film. If Girl Interrupted had been filmed in Technicolor, (laughs) that's what Pearl is. And there's so many great 
jaw dropping moments because she's basically just living in isolation with her parents on this farm during the Spanish flu pandemic. So she just kind of like goes crazy because her husband's at war. So she just like starts murdering random animals and then like fucking random scarecrows and stuff like that was major. That reminded me of that scene from The Handmaiden when yeah. she's like on top of the, the Except dummy. Except she, she didn't actually fuck the scarecrow. Like what is that called? I mean, she was just dry humping it. Tribbing. I always forget about this. I'm sorry, what? You don't know what tribbing is? No, I call it dry humping. Well, yeah, that's what it, that's the technical term for it, I think. Although I always get it mixed up with whatever that mental disorder is when you, where you like um, wanna, pull your hair out. Oh, not when you want to marry inanimate objects. <laughs> no, that's objectum oh, sexuality. I actually know what that's called. <laughs> yeah, so she's like tribbing this scarecrow. She's like weirdly horny and just demented. Which, when you watch X, which you would think it would be a limitation if you watch X first. Honestly, watch whichever one you want first. Yeah, it actually doesn't matter. A runner throughout these films is wanting to make a better life for yourself, wanting to be famous, not exactly being talented, which I love about this film, and also just being incredibly sexually repressed. Yeah. If Jace, which you just would be, surely, if you were like a horny little slut in like 1918. Which if, yeah, if Michael Myers and Jason have like supernatural powers, her supernatural power is just being horny. Fuck, she's good. Also, she's amazing looking. Like so many actors today, especially if they're like in a period film, it's like weird. It's like... Girl, like, don't try and pretend like Nicole Kidman is in, like, 1918. Like, this doesn't look right. Yeah. Whereas her face, there's just something about it. She really does look like an actress from the 1970s. Well, she looks like Shelley Duvall. I don't know if she, it's, like, a look so much as a vibe. Her voice, too, which is not her accent. Because she's British. Her vibe is totally... Shelly, young Shelly Duvall. Like, she is the second coming of that bitch. And she's just so good in this. I'm just so excited to see how her career progresses. Well, we know what she'll be doing next. Also, what I love about this random trilogy, there's not been a lo-fi trilogy since the Before Sunrise series, (laughs) but we don't have to wait nine years for the sequel. So a few days before Pearl went to theaters, they announced Maxine Triple X is the final film in the... It's just called Maxine, though, right? Yes, But there's three X's, X's, like, within the name. Right, so, I mean... Sorry. It's not like the part of the Triple X franchise. No, it's not part of the Vin Diesel Triple X franchise, uh, which is very cool because like a Marvel film, if you sit through the credits of Pearl, you get the teaser for Maxine. I guess slight spoiler alert for X, but uh, Maxine is the final girl of the film. Maxine, the sequel, takes place a few years later in Los Angeles where she has become, I assume, a successful porn star. And here's hoping that she's just like murdering sleazy porn producers. This is actually going to be our favorite movie. (laughs) This might be the best one yet. This is a reason to live till 2023. Yeah. So yeah, watch Pearl instead of do revenge. (laughs) It's way better. It's way more major. I assume if you're listening to this podcast... You've already watched Do Revenge. <laughs> no, I was going to say, you're, you're like us, and you'll probably enjoy Pearl more than Do Revenge. Well, there's only one more thing to cover. Let's play that theme. 
Hardashaholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. Were you prepared for that Kardashian episode? Absolutely not. I hate Tristan so much. I mean, there was no hint at all that we were going to get a fast-forward episode, which was still in the past, but more present than the rest of the episodes we're going to get this season. Yeah. which And an episode dedicated purely to one character, which I'm kind of into. I know it's fucked up to refer to Chloe as a character, but it's, it's an episode fully about Chloe explaining the timeline and why she didn't until almost the very end tell the world that she was having another child with Tristan via surrogate. It was just a heartbreaking emotional roller coaster for me. I feel so bad for her. I absolutely hate Tristan. Like I am this close to making like society for cutting up Tristan Thompson merch. Scut? Scut? Scut. <laughs> to be fair, Scut does seem like one of Kim's brands. Oh, we better trademark that before she does. Yeah, it was just really heartbreaking because in the in the beginning of the episode, you know, they established that he's having a child with another woman, that he knew this when they went and impregnated a surrogate and hid that from her, which, as Chris says, is a means of controlling her in a really fucked up way. Yeah, I don't know if it's Kendall or Kylie. Someone says it was to trap her and... I don't exactly agree with that. I think what it was, was it won't sting as much when Chloe finds out if she has her own child, is I think his infantile idea. It makes me think of when Camille Grammer went on Beverly Hills Housewives and Kelsey Grammer gave her the okay to do that because he knew he was going to divorce her and was like, well, at least she has something. Right. I don't think it's even that generous. I think he's... Not, not only a narcissist, but I think he's the dumbest person in the world. Tristan Thompson is as dumb as a sack of rocks. And it's just really hard to see such a strong, intelligent woman repeatedly debase herself by continuing to engage with this terrible man. Like, it's it's upsetting. And also to see how it's metabolized within her. Like, that was always, to me, one of the more heartbreaking things when the Britney Spears stuff started to come out of how she felt like she couldn't talk about the conservatorship to the public because everyone was going to say she was dumb. Right. And it seems that Chloe has metabolized this criticism of which I'm sure there are people calling her a dumb bitch, but so much of it is people who do love her that just really do want the best for her. But the fact that she has so much anxiety to even, I mean, I don't think it's for the cameras. Like you clearly see that up until the last moment, she doesn't even want to acknowledge she's having a kid, not because she doesn't want the kid. It's just, it's mired in all of this bullshit And they don't exactly go into this, but I'm sure it went through her mind about you start overlaying the timeline and they show it in footage, right? That it's like, oh, when he was being this perfect dad to my daughter, we were playing house. Like he had impregnated some bitch. And he knew knew it. He knew. knew it. Yeah. It's really fucked up. And in this episode, you see Chloe very much disassociate from the fact that she's having a baby because as Kim says... There's nothing to remind her of it. She's not carrying the baby herself. She doesn't have a partner that she can talk about like, oh, you know, what kind of crib should we get? Or like do all that stuff that you do when you're preparing for a child. And, you know, obviously last time he ruined her pregnancy as well. Also a thing 
that was a revelation in that episode was, did you know this? That she went into labor early with True because of the stress of finding out he cheated? That's what she says in last night's episode. I don't know if I knew that or just assumed that to be true. But yeah, of course. She went into labor like the day after. I will say... I've found the brilliance in the Kardashians in the last few years, and it started in the last few seasons of Keeping Up, is the breaking of the fourth wall. Like, when they show the other side of the conversation, when Chloe explains that scene in the last episode of the first season when Kim finds out about Tristan cheating while she's working out and filming, Chloe explains, like, I had her take me off speaker so that I could say we had just impregnated a surrogate with an embryo. When she, which she has to tell her sister when Kim goes, well, if this isn't a sign, you shouldn't have another baby with that man. Oh, God. So brutal. Kim's toast at her baby shower, which, let's face it, is maybe the saddest Kardashian event ever recorded on film. They didn't even get Jeff Latham involved. They were like, not today, Jeff, okay? We'll just take the balloons. I know, but Kim's toast, while sweet, was just so dark. And if I was Chloe, I just wouldn't have wanted that. Like, she, she basically stood up and started, Kim just started crying and was like, I can see how miserable you are. Like, I don't want this for you. Like, you know, I, it's painful to watch you, like, basically ignore the fact that you're having a baby. But when you look this baby in its eyes, you'll realize. <laughs> what true love is, because you'll never find it from a man, basically. I don't know if we saw Kim's surrogate process or the birth in the same way that we did with Chloe, but I did. Oh, we definitely didn't. I did find it quite dark that it's like they just take the baby out of the surrogate's vagina and put in the arms of the mother and they're like, you just go in this other room now. I don't know if that's dark. It's like, how else would you? I guess it has to bond with its mother first. I know. I don't know. I find it. There were a few things I found odd about this episode, and I am very much not one. I've never really, up until this point, been like, they all look very weird, but this was one episode, like, Chloe looks so fucking thin. Oh, yeah. Beyond. And, and Kylie's face looks so weird. I'm sorry, but I've ne- I don't know if it was <laughs> the way my Hulu stream was. Yeah, they coming. had the, Kylie had the um, little Richard John Waters lip liner happening. And I don't know why they continue to do this. It does not look good. It is not an optical illusion like they think it is. On a lighter note, while this episode was all about Chloe and her pregnancy, we got one random funny part, which was the reveal that Chris has a condo oh, in yeah. Beverly Hills that she forgot about. Which seems super weird because MJ and, the, and their close cousin Cece also live there. They live like nearby or like in the same building or something, right? Yeah. It they felt- don't live like in the condo. Anyway, I just thought that was random that they threw that in there, but I'm into it. And that Chris's fridge is exclusively filled with champagne. Yeah, that was goals. What else has been going on? Oh, God. Thank God for Hypebeast that wrote an article to explain what the fuck is going on between Kanye and the Gap Adidas deals. Because according to Kanye, they're over, which seems weird since there's like, very strict legal contracts you would imagine involved in these deals right so explain it to me because I have no idea what's going on I mean it's no different than I think what we believe it to be which is he would like to leave these deals and lawyers have to figure out how to do that when we were leaving Pearl is when Sunday night is when Kanye posted 
that bizarre out of context legalese about all the things that he cannot do under the Yeezy banner, which right. the Hypebeast article consulted a lawyer and it seems like that is a document his lawyers gave him that as of right now, here are the, all of the things that you're forbidden to design. Right. Which makes sense. I, this is the thing. I mean, we were talking about this off air, but it's like, I don't have sympathy. You signed a contract. Yeah. Like you have so many resources when it comes to getting lawyers to read the contract and make sure you're not getting fucked over. And also, I have a big thing just in general in life, and this was a big problem I had with Courtney, those final Keeping Up with the Kardashian series, when people don't have deference for things. Like when Courtney was like, I don't want to work anymore. It's like, could you have a little bit of respect for like the reason why at 40 something you can never work again? Is it because it's the reality show that your sister and your mother created, maybe? Right. It's like Kanye is able now to go out on his own and produce Yeezy at the production level that he wasn't able to before because of the residuals from the Adidas or Adidas uh, <laughs> Yeezy deal that he had. Yeah. That generates him $500 million. And do you know why he gets $500 million? Because he's not allowed to dilute the fucking brand and make sub Yeezy shit. Right. <sighs> yeah, I don't have any sympathy either, obviously. So he did a Good Morning America interview, which is very bizarre because... He looks like the Unabomber. <laughs> I mean, there's that. But Good Morning America is on ABC, which is owned by Disney. Disney now owns Hulu. So that is the network that Kim and the family go on to do interviews. So it's kind of weird on the same network that airs the Kardashians, on the day the right. Kardashian airs, does an interview. Up until this point, we've only seen whatever preview, whatever aired Thursday morning, which was a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. Again, the Hypebeast article, this has been the craziest month because you forget that all of this shit, the Gap stuff, the Adidas stuff, the yelling at Kim about Donda Academy, that all started in September. Oh, and we're still in that month. And we're still in <laughs> September. But his whole thing about not having a say in how his children are educated, it's like, first of all, when did he begin Donda Academy? Because it seems like it was three weeks ago. Like, your kids are enrolled in your school months before they start. It really does feel like Kanye, three days before Sierra Canyon started, was like, I want them to go to Donda Academy. And Kim was like, they're enrolled in their school that they love going to and have all their friends in. Yeah, well... He just seems like another religious extremist that wants to homeschool their kids. You years ago predicted that in five years, Kim and Kanye would end up divorced and that Kanye would become a men's right activist complaining about how he doesn't see his children. Yeah. What else do you have to it say? It came true. What else do you have to say? No, Shadamas. <laughs> the other thing he said in relation to the gap and... Uh, Adidas deal was well now I have new lawyers what are they gonna do yeah this is like Donald Trump with his lawyers just because you get new lawyers doesn't mean you're gonna get out of the contracts you want to if anything also imagine what their lawyers are like 
what Kanye's lawyers are like. Oh, what Gap and... What Gap and <laughs> Adidas's lawyers are like. Yeah. I mean, you know, I worked for an eccentric celebrity that would often pretend like reality didn't exist. And so I have like, it's a real trigger point for me where it's like, just because you say that this multinational billion, t- these two multinational billion dollar corporations are going to let you out of your contract because you want to, doesn't mean it's going to happen. If anything, I bet what's going to happen is he will pay Adidas to license the Yeezy brand from them. Or maybe he'll do bootleg Yeezy stuff. That would be cool if he made bootleg stuff of his own stuff and then got sued by Yeah, but he can't do that. Like, as per the contract, it's like anything that could be mistaken as... But Chelsea, he has new lawyers now. Well, we'll see how this all shakes out. It's still September. So much could still happen with Kanye. <sighs> um, it's kind of sad, though, that going back to the Kardashians episode, that next week we're going to be plunged back into, what, March of 2022? It was so refreshing to be like, oh, we're in July 2022. Like, I'm ready to go forward now. Like, I forgot that Courtney and Travis got married when they're still, like, upcoming this season. It's like, God damn it. I don't even care to see the the dress fitting. Yeah, it is. The lapse is pretty stunning. But we just have to get over it. We bitch about it every single week. We have to just accept it. You know, we can't change it. Well, I'm getting new lawyers, so it's going to be different. (laughs) All right, guys, I think we've reached reached the end. But, you know, there was so much stuff that we actually didn't end up talking about. Right. Like London Fashion Week. Brad Pitt's skincare line, and what else? Sofia Coppola's rival Elvis movie. All things which we are discussing on a new Patreon episode, which, is it out now? No, it'll probably be up the next day. Guys, I need a little time editing. (laughs) Okay, so it'll come out on Saturday. Yeah, so if you've listened to this on what we call the main feed and you'd like more, come join us over on the Patreon. But either way, we'll be back here next week. That's right, guys. All right, love you. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 